Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com on today's Tour Catch-Up. Novak Djokovic claims his 38th Masters title with victory in Rome. Iga Sviontek seals her fifth straight title. And Wimbledon is set to lose its ranking points. Kim, today is the 15th of May and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Passing Shot HQ. We are recording a little earlier than usual. We are coming off the finals day in Rome. Novak Djokovic is your men's champion. Iga Sviontek is your ladies champion and we're going to be catching up on all the events that has happened in Rome this week. It has been a fun tournament. There have been fans there. It's been very, very boisterous, very energetic from the crowd, which we love to see. But Kim, of course, it's not been the biggest, it's not been the only event in, in Italy this week that has caught the the eye and the conversation of us at Passing Shot HQ because we had Eurovision last night and I know you absolutely love Eurovision as much as you love tennis and, and Rafa and you know podcasting with me obviously um so let's let's talk about Eurovision very very quickly because it was in Turin wasn't it which is I kept telling people last night that's where the tennis gets played for the the tour finals <laughs> at the end of the season yeah you know I'm surprised they didn't mention it on the show because it's such an important fact I was telling everyone I was that was like my one fact for the evening <laughs> and I'm sure it'll be transformed very quickly you know back from being a big stage for a you know global uh global entertainment show off to you know tennis courts come November but yeah great great show really really good uh showing from the United Kingdom so that was uh it, I think in my sort of adult lifetime the best that we've ever done it was dream world it was like I feel like our how bad we are at, at Eurovision is one of those statistics that was that was sort of talked about in the sort of same sort of realms as like x number of years since we've had a British Wimbledon male champion yeah it's it, we always like to like give it a bit of time before things happen again but hopefully you know on onwards and upwards now for us in yeah. Eurovision but um and you know Ukrainian uh victory which I'm sure mm. uh you know, you can't really begrudge that with everything that's going on. It was a very strong message of solidarity with Ukraine. So, yeah, all in all, a very good show. I, I, Eurovision is one of my highlights of the year. And I'm sure some of our listeners don't care about Eurovision. So we <laughs> won't dwell on it too much. But, yeah. It's, uh... I don't think one of those people was the DJ at the finals today because he was playing it on the changeover, the, the Ukraine song. Yeah, I was watching Sviontek and Jabor and I heard the sort of chorus in the background as the coverage was on. So yeah, um, obviously already getting played across Europe and uh, I'm sure, well, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see who, uh, well, if any of the tennis players bothered watching it on Saturday night or if they mm. were getting an early night because it does go on quite late <laughs> and they probably had 
other things to do in, in advance of the finals. But I mean, let's let's get on to the tennis, I suppose, <laughs> if we have to. <laughs> um, let's start with Novak because we've just seen him win uh, the final against Stefano Tsitsipas in straight sets it was in the end. Um, very, very one-sided to begin with. Novak uh, did manage to bagel Tsitsipas in that first set. Uh, but I was I was convinced it was going to go to a third when Sitspass, mm, you know, yeah. went up a, a break or two in the second set. It was, it was five two up, and uh, then Novak managed to claw it back. It went to a tie break, and the rest is history. Djokovic doing what he does best and uh, clinching it in straight sets. Yeah, it was a very impressive second set, I think, particularly from, from Novak Djokovic. Stefanos Sissipas didn't really seem to be at the races in that first set. In particular, his, his first and second serve, Djokovic was just climbing all over it. And it was, it was shades of, of Karolina Pliskova, I think, from Sissipas, uh, uh, you know, in that first set. But, um, you know, he did kind of, find his rhythm in that second set he certainly found his his serving and made life a lot more difficult um you know for Novak Djokovic and uh, he really had to I think you know dig deep in the sense of you know Sissipas I think was serving for that second set at 5-2 Djokovic coming back getting to a tie break and I mean Sissipas's record in, in tie breaks has been pretty decent um you know this season but uh Djokovic was able to kind of come through 38th Masters crown He's now registered over a thousand ATP tour victories. That was his 1001 victory. And, uh, yeah, it seems to be that he is very much kind of peaking at the right moment for, you know, the French Open because, you know, we go back to Belgrade and really kind of only just really kind of a few weeks ago. And he really was, I feel like struggling through matches. There are lots of three set, uh, you know, victories, real kind of up and down lacking I felt kind of consistency and you know this tournament it's been a complete almost kind of breath of fresh air in the sense I think for his his clay season in the sense of you know he didn't drop a set throughout the week and you know when he came up against really hard opponents who were bringing some really really good tennis in particular you know his quarterfinal against Felix Auger-Aliassime and then Kasper Ruud as well in that that semi-final he really brought a level of tennis that I I just don't think we have seen so far in the clay season. And as I said, I think it bodes really, really well for him with the French Open just around the corner. Yeah, I mean, we go back to his match against like Alejandro Davidovich Fakina in mm, Monte Carlo and then yeah. all those struggles he had in Belgrade and the, the final with Rublev where he just kind of had no energy in that third set. And like he seems to be back where he needs to be, like the Novak of old. And I think, you know, we it only took him, you know, a bit, a bit of time, a few tournaments. He's played his way in, got better as it's, you know, as it's progressed with each with each um, tournament. So absolutely where he wants to be and we know that Rome plays quite similarly to the clay at Roland Garros so I think he'll be absolutely delighted to have come away with a title here not dropping a set uh weak to Roland Garros you know um one of his closest rivals you know Rafa's obviously having injury troubles which are chronic and ongoing so I think if you're on team Novak at the moment I think things are looking very much on the up and and looking like he's got a good good chance to defend his title from from last year and does it put him as a favorite do you think 
I would say so. I mean, just because of what Rafa's kind of come out and said after his match against Shapovalov and, and the way that, you know, he just wasn't really able to compete in that third set with with Shapovalov, you know, his foot that he, yeah. it's an ongoing injury that he lives with. And it just, he said, you know, it wasn't really playable for him. He, um, like halfway through that second set, he just couldn't, couldn't really do anything. And it, it's, he's just constantly in pain, essentially. Um, and I've struggled to see how he'd be able to get through seven best of five matches to to win Mm. Roland Garros. Um, Obviously, I hope that he can manage it and and do I'm sure he'll give it absolutely his everything. Like we know that he's going to try his absolute hardest. Um, You know, he's an absolute fighter. So but I just think being realistic. um, Yeah, it's, it's looking like, I guess, Djokovic. And then I suppose if it's not Djokovic and, and Rafa's foot is still bad. um, Well, We'll get onto this in our preview pod, but, you know, Alcaraz, etc., would be the others. But, um, you know, mm. in going back to Rome this week, yeah, I think Djokovic just, no one really had an answer. I, th- I suppose Felix uh, probably came the closest uh, in that match. It was two, two tight sets in the quarterfinal. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, what's amazing, I think, for Djokovic is that, you know, this was his first tour title in six months. You know, he's not, you know, for reasons, you know, most fans know about Australia, um, you know, not getting access into the United States. It's been a very kind of stop start couple of months, you know, the start of the season. And, um, you know, it's taken him this time, I think, to kind of find his feet, get those, um, you know, back to back kind of tournaments in. And I really think kind of having the, the Masters back to back high level tennis, you know, Masters 1000 events, I think has actually really helped him in the sense of he's been able to kind of put, you know, a string of matches together. And, you know, he's had some really high intensity, highly competitive matches, you know, thinking particularly about that Alcaraz match, which he lost on a, you know, a t- tiebreaker last week in Madrid. But I think the nature of, of these tournaments being back to back has actually helped him in the sense of it's shown kind of what he needs. And he's just been able to kind of get minutes on court and he's just been playing some very, very good tennis. And I think, you know, this week in particular, I think his forehand has been, has been one of those shots I think has been, particularly improved upon over you know over the last few weeks I just think you know going back to you know Belgrade I I just remember this being just so many sort of uncharacteristic errors uh, unforced errors from the the back of the court particularly from the forehand but it just was not on show I think really today and you know that first set he just blitzed Sissipas he just was kind of went three love up Sissipas was getting really really frustrated Sissipas got warning for for hitting um, you know his bag with the tennis racket which again was not a good look because there was a there was a ball kid standing behind the the bag with with an umbrella to kind of protect Sispas from the sun on the changeover but again it was not a, a great look but he just showed kind of the frustration already that he was feeling and uh, it was because Djokovic he was not you know he was not messing around he, st- he came on court he knew what he wanted to do and Sissipas didn't really have an answer and you know in particular I just felt kind of his backhand it just didn't have the pace or you know it didn't have the threat enough I think to really kind of trouble Djokovic and uh, it was easy for Djokovic to get ahead in the rally particularly with how Sissipas was serving in that first set and uh, although Sissipas did make more of it in in the second set I think yeah he will be disappointed he didn't push it to a third because I think, Kim, if there was one thing that Sissipas would have looked to have done 
you know, in that match that would have been a confidence booster for Roland Garros would have been taking it to a third and doing that from a point of such adversity given, you know, I got bageled in the in the first set because, you know, their last match was the French Open final when Sissipas was was two sets up. Djokovic came back and won in five. And it was just sort of like, you know, that was adversity that Djokovic was was able to overcome. And Sissipas, you know, in a best of three format, he almost had the opportunity here, I think, to show, actually, I can put that to one side and I can give you a real run for your money and potentially take you to a third and we'll see what happens. But unfortunately, he just wasn't able to do that today. Yeah, I think he'll be ruining the fact he just wasn't able to get to that third set. I mean, I still mm. think that Djokovic would have would have won in three, but I yeah. just it would have been like just great for a you know neutral fans as well to have a, a third set. I think that's why Djokovic was getting angry, like in the in the second set. I think the crowd was sort of mm. a bit frustrated with you know with the match itself, given it was not really not really a spectacle. You know, <laughs> it was already. You know, we'd already had kind of one underwhelming, you know, Masters Masters final last week in Madrid, which just crawled over the the hour mark, and it was looking very much like a, a very similar possibility. I think two weeks running, and I think that the crowd were kind of sensing that, and we're trying to g up kind of Sissipas and and feed him some some energy. And Djokovic, I think, was beginning a little bit frustrated with with that, and. It was it was interesting to see that sort of dynamic, I think, play out across the, the two sets. Yeah, for sure. And I think going into Roland Garros, depending on the draw and if these two will meet, whether that's in a semi or a final again, mm. you know, I think it would have been good for Sitzbass to have taken this to three because I do wonder if maybe that will, just the fact that he was 5-2 up, not able to take it to a third, yep. whether that would come into play in their next match, which may very well be, be very soon. Um, but, you know, overall, I think he'll be glad that getting to the final, you know, he got kind of revenge over over Zverev for his uh, defeat in uh, Madrid. Mm. So making it through to the final, beating everyone else on his path, you know, Sinner, um, Hatchinov, etc., Dimitrov. So some good good wins along the way. Toughy though with Dimitrov early on it was, but um, came through. It's interesting because, you know, Sissipas, uh, you know, apart from, uh, you know, obviously losing to, to Djokovic in the final today, he's probably had arguably the most consistent, you know, results as the European clay swing has begun. Um, you know, he obviously started with the title in, in Monte Carlo and he sort of carried that that form through. Yes, he lost to was it Carlos Alcaraz, I think, in the quarters um in, in Barcelona. But you know, he has been very consistent, but sort of at the same time, a little bit I feel like underwhelming. I still feel like when I've seen him in these sort of big matches, there's still that sort of air of of, of vulnerability and as you said, it could have been a very different story this week because you know he had to save match points against Dimitrov in his his opening match, which was you know great for him obviously to, to come through. But um, it doesn't feel like I've seen the clay tennis of him this year that I think I've seen him have the season before, the season before that. I think there's still like a level he can go up to, and I think it's a level that he needs in order to kind of harbor serious ambitions of winning a Grand Slam because I do think Clay does help his game. I think, you know, there are, are weaknesses to the Sissipas game, but I think Clay sort of masks them and actually kind of helps him. But at the same time, if he's going to want to go through Novak Djokovic and, and win your first kind of Grand Slam title, I think he's going to need to still rediscover that form that sort of took him there last, you know, last season. Because I, even though I've seen him get to kind of finals, you know, play well, 
on the clay swing so far, it still doesn't feel like we're quite there yet. Yeah, he's gone a bit under the radar despite fairly mm. consistent results and that title in Monte Carlo. I think we um, have been focusing our attention on the likes of Alcaraz and, and also mm. Novak and Rafa as as usual. So uh, in in my mind, I feel like Spass has sort of just, yeah, it's gone through it, but not in the most convincing of fashion. So, but I guess maybe that's also a testament. We kind of expect him to do well on the clay after his, you know, excellent clay season last year and the final of Roland Garros. I mean, arguably, the fact that he's, we don't, I would say he's not been playing as well as, um, you know, he has been, I think, in previous seasons on the clay. And yet he's still making, you know, Masters Series finals does potentially bode well if he can find that, that extra gear. But, uh, you know, you see those matches against, you know, for example, Dimitrov in, in the second round. Again, there's still that sort of, you sort of wonder if, you know, there are players out there who can cause him trouble. Uh, you know, early on in the in the tournament. So, um, yeah, I think he'll be looking to find that sort of extra gear in order to really kind of take it to, to Djokovic and, and really kind of push him, you know, at a point where I still think, you know, Djokovic is a little bit vulnerable in the sense of he's had that stop-start timing to the, you know, the season so far. This has just been, you know, one tournament. We'll remember this is his first title win in the last six months so I, I don't think it's like all all is right in the world because Novak Djokovic has, has won Rome yes this is a very very special tournament to him he feels right at home here it was almost kind of interesting to hear I think in his his post-match in the post-match ceremony how he almost sort of expected everything to come to come together to come to come right in Rome given you know how well he likes the conditions and his kind of previous you know his his previous efforts at the tournament as well but um you know I, I i do think that there's still kind of opportunities there for other players to potentially take him over but you know he is going in i think as the the clear favorite and you know with a bunch of kind of people unfortunately probably including rafa in the in the rear view in that sort of second outsider group just under novak yeah i think you've got to go with experience and and form and mm. you know i just think and if Rafa wasn't struggling with his foot, I'd put him right up there with Novak. Yep. But given the realities of the situation, I think Djokovic is definitely the most likely candidate. Do you think Tsitsipas is the sec- is second runner-up? Or do you think that it's just a group of people, including Alcaraz, uh, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rude? Mm, well, I don't think I'd put Rude in the category just yet. Okay. He hasn't okay. got the same calibre at slams yet. Um, I'd say Tsitsipas and Alcaraz would be the two kind of... Mm behind Djokovic um but who knows perhaps we'll get a surprise uh, <laughs> I mean I just on other results this week Joel um I had Cameron Norrie in the semi-finals but he lost to Marin Cilic uh what was going on there it was three sets but 6-1 in the third I was uh quite bemused by that result I have to say I mean Norrie was I think he was a set and a break up and then Cilic just sort of ran away with it and, and Norrie really didn't have an answer in that third set but yeah it was a interesting result i mean for british fans it was probably the it was probably the the best it got obviously we didn't have andy murray you know dan evans not particularly great i thought he would do a little bit better against bashlashvili but mm. unfortunately no so um yeah it was a bit i think disappointing on the the british front i mean i know you spoke about rafa his foot is there, it felt like everyone, it felt like a funeral, uh, I feel like, amongst Rafa fans um, on Twitter when that was coming about. Um, 
But uh, you know, the, the way I sort of see it, Kim, is like this is this is not a new injury. It's an existing one, as you said. It's cr- it's chronic, and he should be able to find a way to glass half full here. But he sh- hopefully he can find a way in order to kind of manage it at you know Roland Garros for two weeks of the year. And you know, yes, he's got to play seven best of five set matches, but I don't think he's gonna he's not gonna need to be ten out of ten across all seven of those matches. And I think I still think there's an you know, I still think he is in with a shout, but it's obviously not great when you see on the TV him sort of limping. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, Shapovalov did obviously make the you know make the most of it. But I just feel like now with Rafa, he, we've not really seen Rafa be beaten like tennis for tennis. Shapovalov's one and you know Rafa's foot sort of been hurting Taylor Fritz as well in that in that final in, in Indian mm. Wells Lloyd Harris before that as well <laughs> it's it is a it does feel like a little bit of a recurring theme and that maybe for me is probably the what the, the biggest worry yeah I think it's it's his body isn't it that's his biggest battle enemy it's it's when Rafa's fully fit and firing mm. we saw how how good he was uh the start of this year I mean obviously he still had the foot injury then but was able to I guess, manage it better than it, it keeps rearing its ugly head right now. And I think for a lot of Rafa fans, I guess we sort of feel that it really peaked in a, in the Australian Open this year, that that sort of miracle of him winning that final from two sets down. I just still can't believe that actually happened. So I feel sort of uh, comforted by the fact that we had such a fantastic result and start to the season. And yeah, it's, it's struggling a bit now, um, but we, we live in hope. I just, you know, I don't like knowing that he's in pain it's obviously you don't want anyone to be in pain but mm. for these sports people at elite level they go through so much for their sport and you know he's not the only one that has chronic injuries that he's dealing with and we've seen this so many times in other sports and you know it's just um well he's gonna have his doctor with him in paris mm. so and he's gonna give it his all we know that get so. the magic spray on kim get the magic <laughs> spray on <laughs> Tons and tons of painkillers, I think, is what he's already <laughs> on. But yeah, it's going to have to hope that some secret, you know, got some tricks up his sleeve, maybe. But we'll 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 see how it goes in in Paris. Um, I mean, just a note on the the doubles in Rome as well. We had um a title for Mektic and Pavic. They are back uh, to winning ways. It's their first title of the season, actually, and they uh beat <laughs> beat the uh. The Isner man uh, duo of John Isner and Diego Schwartzman, who paired up much to everyone's delight. Uh, yeah, 12-10 in the championship tiebreak. So maybe it proves that, you know, although they didn't quite win, you know, having little and large together, uh, obviously it's I a know. winning, almost a winning partnership. Maybe there'll be more kind of um, height differences <laughs> matching up soon. <laughs> I mean... It was, uh, you know, it was a really. I watched, I watched that championship tiebreak, and um, yeah, they had. I mean, they had opportunities to win it. It was a really entertaining match. I think, I think a lot of us were looking at that pairing and just seeing it more for for comedic value. We didn't actually think they were going to go all the way through to the final, but uh, they, you know, they went and did that. They had a very good win. I saw against uh, Cabal and Farah en route. Yeah, a little bit. I think disappointed they couldn't get it done, but at the same time. For Mektic and Pavic, uh, you know, a team who, yeah, they won nine titles last season um, uh, on on the doubles circuit, and you know we're now in mid May, and this was their first one, so I think they'll be a little bit relieved, 
going into the the French Open and actually have a, a title um, in their in their locker. But um, yeah, for Isner and, and Schwartzman, Kim, are you are you hoping to see this again? Because I feel like all the crowds want to see it. Do you think do you think that could be a do you think we'll see them at the French Open? Well, if they've got good chemistry and the crowd are loving them and they're having good results, then why <laughs> why on earth not? It's uh, certainly, you know, John Isner's not usually a player that I sort of gravitate towards watching, but I'm more inclined to if he's paired up with, you know, someone like Diego Schwartzman in the double. So, yeah, I think uh, it'd be a good, good team. Are we going to get more? Are we going to get more people taking inspiration from this? Um, I'm expect I'm seeing... Riley Opelka and, and Sebastian <laughs> Baez teaming up. Are we going to see more height, big height differentials on the uh, on the double circuit? Do you think? Yeah, well, quite possibly. If it's uh, you know, they've got just got to come up, come up with a catchy team name. Like I think they decided was was it is Isnaman? Isnaman. Um, Isnaman. Yes. So yeah, I don't know how. You've got to have a, a catchy team name. But um, yeah, that was a you know, good win for Mexic and Pavic. I'm sure they'll be pleased that they've got a title and going into the French as well. Maybe they'll be looking to uh, go deep there. Um, but we do have, obviously, the women's uh, side of things as well, uh, which was, well, again, I think our, my prediction, I think your prediction as well, everyone's prediction came true. Um, Iga Sviontek winning yet another title, yet another Masters 1000 title. It's her fifth um, title on the trot, her 20 eighth victory uh in, on the trot as well um coming through again in another final f- with the loss of just four games 6262 over on Jabor um i mean what did you make of this she was again just very convincing she's just playing so well I just I don't really have much more to say. <laughs> yeah, it it was uh, another uh, you know great week similar to, to Djokovic didn't drop a set uh was still handing out uh bagaries uh, <laughs> baked goods, bagels, breadsticks uh you know throughout the week. She was you know she was tested at, at times. I feel like particularly you know against Azarenka in that first set and then in that first set as well against Andrescu, which went to a tie break, really, really long set. But no one seems to be able to kind of live with her over over two sets and keep up kind of that consistency. Um, and she's just, you know, running away with it at the moment. And in the final, again, it started very, very quickly for, for Shionte. I really love how when she has got on court, she's, you know, she's all business and straight to the, you know, she's straight to it and she's caught her opponents, I think a little bit cold and, and in the final, I think, yes, there were sort of mitigating circumstances for Jabor. You know, she had a, a late, you know, she had the, the night match against Kasekina in, in the semi final where she had to save match point. She came back from the, the, the near depths of defeat against Sakari as well in, in her quarterfinal. I think she was like what six one five two down, and and she came through that second set seven five before running away with it six one in the decider. So I think you know by the time she got to that final, I think she was potentially a little bit fatigued. You know she's played a full clay season. She got to the Madrid Open final, you know last week and, and won it. So she's played a lot of tennis, and perhaps it caught up with her a little bit in the final but at the same time Shiontek was just playing some absolutely lights out tennis and although I think Jabor there was that game I think uh when Shiontek was I think she was like 5-2 up and you know there were moments where Shiontek could have come out sorry at 4-love 
Shiontek came back and could have got it to back on serve. But um, yeah, Shiontek just just too, too strong at the moment. Yeah, I think um, Jabor had like three break points to mm. to break back in that second Those set. Those were but... amazing points, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, wasn't able to do it. And then from there, it was kind of like, you know, routine. Um, so, it, you know, I mean, I don't normally, you know, when players are dominating, people might think, oh, it's a bit boring. But I just think it's amazing what Shiontek's doing. And I'm really enjoying it. And I hope her streak lasts as, as long as possible um, because it's just... It's just lovely to see, isn't it? I think it's the fourth longest women's win streak since 2000. So she's, um, you know, going right up there. And I mean, she is the overwhelming favourite, I guess, for Roland Garros, given the fact that she's won it before. She's on this incredible win streak. Is it a surprise if she doesn't win it? I think so. But then I just feel like, is there going to be like a lot of pressure and hype? So, yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it's more likely that someone would upset her I think she's still she could still go out in like the fourth round I wouldn't be surprised okay. I, you know, I'm not saying that's going to happen but we've I remember when Shriontek beat Halep and Halep was the kind of strong favorite to mm. win Roland Garros yeah. in, in that particular time and um you know I think we, we do have to be careful about sort of saying oh she's you know dead cert for the victory but she's certainly going in the right way and seems to be very comfortable and happy with everything although when she won today she was very very emotional and you know you sort of might think that winning so much should just be a bit like blase but she's clearly not taking it for granted she was very um you know sobbing on the court at the end so it's obviously has taken her a lot um to get to this point you know she's so I don't know maybe there's something else going on I'm not sure but yeah it was it was interesting to see how it much it meant to her Mm. yeah it was um you know it was a very very impressive tournament for her and it was impressive i think also for jabor because i think what, what's i've i've found interesting we've, we've been taught i feel like we can wheel out like an episode's worth of, of stats about how amazing kind of she tech is at the moment and and what she's doing for women's tennis what she could potentially do for for women's tennis in terms of it feels like she and the way she is playing at the moment she is here to kind of really elevate the game in a way you know, potentially a, a rivalry between Shviontek and Barty could have done. Obviously, we're not able, um, you know, to have that given Barty's retirement. But Shviontek still, on her own, I think, can really kind of raise the profile of of women's tennis. And um, I almost don't feel like we're like talking enough about it. You know, these these records. I feel like if they happened in the the men's game, for example, we were thinking, well, like, guys, this is like, you know this is like Roger Federer, but better than Roger Federer. Like it feels like that sort of level of, you know, ruthlessness that, that she's playing with um, at the moment. And maybe because the matches are so easy, we're just sort of taking it for granted. And I, I do wonder if like, I, I sort of do think that they're, you know, the rest of the locker room on the tour, I, I do think there's more, there is more there that, I think there is more competition there. I, I still don't think we've seen the best of of players that you know I sort of expect to give Sviontek more a run for her money. Like for example, in in the semi final against Sabalenka, Sviontek won six two six one. I'm sort of expecting a lot more from from Sabalenka. And again, players like Azarenka and Andrescu, you know, they've shown that they've got it in them. I think to give Sviontek a run for her money, particularly with you know the first set, but it's sort of kind of got away from them. And, um, you know, I think there's still 
plenty more. I think these kind of top top players, players in the you know the higher echelons of the rankings, I think can give potentially and need to give a bit more, and then perhaps that pressure might tell on Sviontek. Yeah, I think also Grand Slams can be different beasts, can't they? You've got you know certain conditions and crowds, so mm. you can always there's always the possibility for an upset from whoever. But yeah, certainly someone like Sabalenka, you know, you would expect, given that she's so highly ranked, that she's not going to be losing six two six one to the world number one. Um, that shouldn't really be happening in the sense that it shouldn't be so uncompetitive. Um, but you know, she's had a she's had a difficult year. She hasn't been particularly in good form. So actually, to get to the semi final. Um, I think was uh, was actually a victory in itself for for Sabalenka in the way, and also Kazakina, um, really good uh, week from her to get to her first semi final at a one thousand clay event, and um, you know she she narrowly lost to, to Jabor. so um, yeah, it was nice to see her kind of doing really really well and getting to that point as well, and um, you know she beat Badosa earlier in the week uh, as well, which. I think I had tipped Bedosa to, to go deeper than that. And uh, I mean, Zachary as well will be kicking herself for losing that to to Onjabor. I think, you know, when I saw that, she, I think I watched the first bit and I thought, oh, this is very one way. <laughs> and I turned it off. And then I was very shocked to see that, um, yeah, it'd gone completely the other way <laughs> in the end. Yeah, I think Zachary, I think, I mean, we've said this before, but Zachary, I feel like it's just becoming known for, you know, not being able to kind of close out close out matches uh, sort of a little bit like Emma Raducanu but I think like Sakari there are matches where it feels like she is streets ahead but something happens and the the tide kind of turns completely and you know in that match against on Jabor Jabor had absolutely no right you know if we're being truthful for for winning that match and um Sakari just you know she just fell apart um you know in that second set and in, in the third set as well she wasn't able to you know she just wasn't able to kind of handle the situation so i think there's certainly that's something that she needs to you know that obviously is something she needs to kind of work on and uh you know in order to become in order to kind of reach semi-finals finals who knows maybe you know win a grand slam one day but you know at the moment there's still kind of work to be you know done there and um you know just just talking about kind of Sabalenka and, and Kasatkina. I mean, for Sabalenka, you know, she had Anna Samova in, in the quarters, who's been a real problem player, I think, for Sabalenka this season. She, I think, had lost to, to Anna Samova uh, in Charleston and Madrid. So it was great to see, I think, her improving, learning with each of those matches and then actually coming out with the, the three-set win to get to the semi-final. But, uh, you know, again, against Sviontek for Sabalenka, a, a match I watched on, on television, she needs to play with more margin, I think, because I think with Sviontek, she was hitting with the same aggression and, and power as as Sabalenka. But because she plays with more spin, and as I said, more margin for error, she was hitting less unforced errors. Whereas I think with Sabalenka, she was too, she felt pressured, I feel, to going going to the lines too much and as a result of that she was either hitting long or hitting wide and it got away from her very very quickly and um it was amazing i think with Shontek to see that you know she could beat someone like a Sabalenka so easily with you know that power and that aggression and then kind of do a similar thing with with Jabor who's you know completely different sort of player and i think that's what makes Shontek so hard to to beat given you know, she's able to kind of adapt to these different play styles and just kind of 
be like, yep, you play this game. That doesn't really matter because my own brand of tennis is just going to wipe the floor with you. And and that is sort of where we're at at the moment. And um, it's it's very, very impressive. And, uh, you know, Jabor in the final, great back-to-back finals, really, really impressive because another player, I think she has had her critics about her fitness and you know her physical her, her physical levels from from week to week on the tour but i think the fact that she's shown that she can get to the final in madrid in rome back to back weeks very daunting schedule i think has sort of quashed those um you know those kind of naysayers i think and those doubters about the the jabor game because i certainly think at the moment if you look at everyone who's playing tennis on on the wta tour at the moment on the on the clay Yes, Iga Swiatek is probably or absolutely, you know, number one kind of going into the French Open. But certainly, I think Jabor, the way she is playing at the moment, I think she's arguably Kim, like firm, firm number two for me. Mm, I was going to say, you know, she's sort of been a bit overshadowed by what Swiatek's been doing. Mm. So, like, she's had her own win streak and title, and yeah, very consistent across the whole clay season. So, I think underestimate her at your peril and she's a former uh, junior Roland Garros champion so she's obviously at home on the clay and I don't see any reason why she couldn't go deep at, at the French so certainly I wouldn't want to be facing her in the draw <laughs> uh, as we as we hit the clay in Paris but um the only other thing Joel really to come to, that I wanted to raise today actually and it's been a big talking point across you know social media and the like is is the difference in prize money between the the two draws in in Rome, you know, we've got the the men's and the women's tournament. Uh, vast differences between the mm. amount of total prize money. So, for the men, uh, it's a total prize money of four million euros. Uh, whereas for the women, it's less than half of that. It's one point seven million euros. Um, I mean, if you look at what the winner takes home alone, the men's winner takes home over eight hundred thousand euros. The women's winner only takes home just over 300,000 euros. I mean, how on earth do we have such a disparity? Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it is shocking. You know, you're a fan, you're going perhaps to this venue or you're watching from home and you just kind of would assume in this day and age that they would be getting paid the same, but it, but it's, it's not, and it's not even like a close difference. It's a vast, vast difference. Yeah. It's, I think that's what I almost feel like it's one of the problems. I think, we just, I think we just assume that it's, it's fine and we don't really think about it. But actually, when you do think about it and you look at the, you know, you look at the tournament sheets and you look at the distribution of prize money, it's still, you know, it's still a big challenge. And, you know, we have obviously got Grand Slam prize money equality, but there's still a big issue, I think, with how it's distributed on the tour. And, you know, when you've got these high profile events like, you know, Rome, which I think has been a fantastic, fantastic tournament, fantastically run. I love the fans. They're also energetic and, and passionate. And I think they really add to the, you know, the event. And it's got some fantastic stadia as well. But it's sort of being dragged, I think, a little bit by, you know, the, the you know, the prize money and how it's, um, you know, it's allocated and that, that dis- disparity because, you know, it, it, it just shows the, they're kind of still separate entities and you know we obviously i think want to get to a point in the future where there is more cohesion there's more cooperation um you know between the two tours they operate as one but you know when we see things like this as you know when there's like a what 500,000 euro difference between 
the winner of the men's and the winner of the women's, it, it just feels like they're still operating in worlds apart. Yeah, and in very old worlds, it's mm. just 2022, you know, that just shouldn't be, shouldn't be happening. Um, yeah, it wasn't right. nice to, uh, to have that. I mean, it's important that someone, you know, that, that has been shed light on and hopefully they, they all realize that, you know, there's a lot of criticism and for next year that can be, um, that can be changed. But, um, I think it's, you know, it's again the, the, the lack of kind of cohesion between the two tours, which is a whole other story, isn't it? But um, I mean, just rounding up Rome as well, we had um, women's doubles champions, Kuda Metova and Pavlochenkova, uh, beating friend of the podcast, Gabby Dabrowski and Olmos uh, in the final um, on a match tie break. So um, that was only their second event, I think, Kuda Metova and Pavlochenkova. Mm. Um, so they got their first title together as a team. And, you know, both very, very... Um, solid doubles players i think kudometer is like fourth in the world so um obviously bound to be a good pairing there it was a bit frustrating i was watching i watched again some of the the, the first the first set of that and yeah dabrowski and, and almost were just running running through and i thought oh this could be quite a straightforward you know straight sets victory and to go you know that i think realistically they it could have been you know at times i was thinking they could have gone you know back to back madrid rome ladies doubles champions which is a very would have been a very very impressive feat but as you said Pavlichenkova Kudometova very very wily experienced players and were able to just sort of nab it on that that championship try break so a little bit frustrating but at the same time very 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 kind of encouraging I think for Dabrowski and Olmos who I think they are going to be going into the French Open ladies doubles tournament thinking we've got a real crack here at winning a French Open title. Yeah, they won Madrid and, uh, you know, great mm. finalists. So good luck to them in Paris. Um, let's take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look at the news that Wimbledon is set to lose its ranking points, uh, that there's going to be a new WTA 1000 event in Guadalajara, and we'll look ahead to all of the draws uh, for the last week of tournaments before the French Open. <laughs> Welcome back to The Passing Shots with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to a path of the courts, Joel, uh, <laughs> before we get on to uh, everything else. So I think you've got another one for me this week and for mm. the listeners. Yes, I do. I do. And it's a very, it's a very, it's a very timely one. Um, it is concerning Iga Svantec. Um, and you sort of alluded to it earlier, Kim. Um, now I could have been, I could have spoken specifically about Svantec's streak and asked you, you know, which players have been, you know, she's won as as part of that streak. But I, I've gone a little bit, I've gone a little bit broader here, and I've I've thought about this more in terms of like what she's achieved and and kind of the record that she set and the sort of players that she is in conversation with at the moment. Okay, so is this gonna is this alluding to other win streaks, perhaps? Mm, perhaps, mm, exactly. Okay. So my question for you and our listeners is, as you said earlier uh, this week, uh, Iga Svantec got to twenty five consecutive match wins. Now there are nine players to have achieved that since the year two thousand. There have been five ladies and there have been four men. And I would like you to tell me the tennis players who have won 
25 consecutive matches since the year 2000. Ooh, five okay, so women, five four women. men. And I'm going to set the pass score at... Because I was quite, I was quite nice on you last week, and I think this is quite, it's quite. Difficult. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say seven. Oh, okay. Seven uh, out of nine. I know that's quite hard, isn't it? Is this including Shrion Deck or it just is, nine I mean, others? It, it may, it may be, but yes. It, okay. Yes, it <laughs> <laughs> I think I could get six. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'll go. I think I could do seven. I, mm-hmm. ooh, I'm going to say the obvious ones first. So, um, okay, okay, let's do this. Right. So, number one, Igor Shriontek. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, surprise, so surprise. Number, <laughs> I'll, go to, I'll go to the men now, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Number two, Roger Federer. Correct. Yes, Roger Federer on the list. So, that's two. Uh, three, Novak Djokovic. Correct. Yes, he is on there also. So that's three. Uh, surely Rafa has done it as well. Hopefully. <laughs> Correct. Yes, I'm surprised that wasn't the the your second answer behind well... Shortet, But yes, uh, yeah, Nadal also on the list. So yeah, the big three from the ATP tour: Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. Yeah, um, on, on the list. So I'll go back to the women now. I think I'm going to say Serena Williams. Correct. Yes, Serena Williams is on there. So you've got two of the five women and three of the four men. So that is five total. So you need two more, Kim, for par for the courts. So I think because of all the Shriontek stuff, I've seen some stats on social media. I'm sure that this person has been listed and that's Justine Enen, Enan, I should say. Justine Enan? Yeah. Correct. Yes. Ooh. Justine Enan is on the list. Um, yeah. Enan uh, yeah, did uh, 25 consecutive wins. So, yeah, that is six. So you need Kim. It's tense, tense situation now. One more for consecutive par for the courts. You could have your own par for the courts win streak. Yeah. <laughs> Or I could just get it hopelessly wrong. I've got a few players that I'm banding around in my head. So, <laughs> so I mean, on the women's you've got, side, I've got... Um, you've got one man or three... And two women. Sorry, two women, yes. One man or two women you could potentially go for. So I know Osaka had a long win streak recently or a few years ago, but was that 25? And I, Maybe Venus Williams... At the very start of the millennium, had one, or um, so they're the two women that I'm thinking of. But on the men's side, that's difficult. I mean, could Andy Murray have had a win streak that long? He'd surely be one of the only other, unless it's something like Leighton Hewitt. Oh, okay. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have to hurry you, Kim. Sorry, um, I'm gonna go for Osaka. my next yes osaka yeah <laughs> incorrect kim oh no incorrect. you have fallen short she did have a win streak though but obviously not 25 she matches. did but it did not get to 25 wins and you're gonna hate me for what i'm gonna say next because if you had said andy murray yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> you you would have been you would have been oh. correct. And if you had said Venus Williams, you would, would have been, been correct. correct. <laughs> yeah. So oh. yes, but there is one other player who has also reached oh, yes. twenty five consecutive match wins. So so we had Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray on the men's side. Venus Williams, Serena Williams, Justine Enan, Iga Swiatek on the women's side, along with Victoria Azarenka. Oh, oh, well done, Vika. Okay, I would, yeah, I probably wouldn't have guessed her actually. So I didn't quite make it this week, but uh, <laughs> came close. Listeners, that was so I, close, I Kim. <laughs> that was so close. That could have been like two consecutive part of the court oh, no. victories. Oh, could have had two trophies. There we go. <laughs> Not to be. Um, but uh, yeah, let's go on to our mailbag for the week, Joel, which um, actually you've submitted your own question to the mailbag. Yes. Yes. Which... I don't care about our listeners. I want to allowed. I've... Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I've got a question. It actually came up in commentary, uh, which I thought was really interesting kind of debate from uh, Mark Petchy on, uh, on Prime. And um, he was talking about kind of, new ball changes um because you know obviously at the moment um you know the it dictates it's like you know after seven games and then nine games nine games blah, 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 blah. but he suggested uh that should new ball changes in matches be based on time instead of number of games because his rationale was you know particularly on clay you know a number of games it could take you know seven games could take 20 minutes but on clay given that the nature of the surface it could take also up to you know 40 50 minutes i think you know the match uh had against azarenka the first seven games took a very 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 long time and um is there you know a deficiency in you know defining ball changes by number of games and whether it should be on a on a timed basis which i thought was quite an interesting sort of interesting line of argument yeah, I see. I totally see his point because, you know, some games can be 20 minutes long and obviously mm. the balls would be a lot more worn much quicker than if you have seven very, very quick games of a lot of aces, for example. Um, so maybe they could work out an average time that it would take from looking at a, a you know, a summary of certain matches, the sample and and come to some kind of yeah generalized rule but i mean I, would that mean though if you're in the middle of a of a game and the clock hits yeah, 20 minutes you're suddenly like <laughs> oh hang on a minute stop what you're doing and we've yeah. got to change the balls <laughs> yeah because obviously t- the top the time on court is it accounts for changeovers and you know, medical timeouts and and not, and not everything and obviously games is a lot easier to do more practical i feel like on yeah, as you said, you can do it on the on the odd game kind of changeover. So I feel like it's something that needs to be sort of worked out there. But I don't I'm not against it in in principle. No. And I think I think, you know, it is something it's more obvious, I feel, on a on a clay court. I just, you know, I feel naturally on, on grass, for example, the the difference between, you know, what seven games could take at the top end and the bottom end is gonna be a lot closer together than say on a clay court where as i said it could it could be really quick it could be you know 40 love 40 love 40 love etc but it also could be really really long because generally speaking the the length of the rally is is longer so i certainly think it's something that could be looked at 
maybe just on a clay court. I, you know, I, I don't know, but yeah, I feel like any any of these sorts of things, Kim, just, just chuck it into the next gen finals and, yeah. and see if it works or not. That's always a test bed for innovation. So I think, um, mm. I mean, you could always have a separate clock, which just records the actual playing time. Yeah, yeah. But then I just wouldn't want it to disrupt the flow of the match. Mm. Uh, if, if you suddenly got to a point, you know, so maybe they could say, oh, it's the next change events after X, num- mm. X time had been reached. But yeah, I think that's certain. I think it's a very interesting argument. It's not something I'd thought of before, but it does make a lot of sense. So uh, well done to Mark Petschi for <laughs> getting our thoughts, uh, you know, in motion on that one. Um but yeah, listeners, we won't ignore your mailbag questions every week. So do keep sending them <laughs> in. Joel will have to learn to, to wait yeah, I'll be quite. I'll be quiet next week. <laughs> uh, we do have some talking points though joel this week um namely the ranking points saga for wimbledon and also the grass court events uh, in the uk in the run-up to wimbledon so basically um as a result of wimbledon and the lta banning russian and belarusian players from all of the grass court events in the uk um rumor has it that atp um like player council are not happy and they want to take action um against against this kind of ban because they fundamentally believe it's not not right to to ban people from competing due to what their governments are doing so i guess a sort of um punishment for for wimbledon and the lta events is that there won't be any ranking points uh, awarded f- to any of these events and that's going to impact on you know players wanting to play these these tournaments they'll They'll just go off and not, they won't play Queens, for example. They'll go off and play Halle, um, if they can get in. I mean, you can't have everyone sort of jumping ship to the continent because there isn't enough spaces there. But I mean, what do you make of all of this? Do you think it's going to go ahead? Do you think it's a good move? Well, I think it has to go ahead if you're the if you're the ATP and and given your stance is a complete completely at odds with the stance that Wimbledon has taken. I think you have to make a stand in 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 some sort of way and ranking points feels like the most obvious way to do that and um you know if, if that does happen i don't think it's going to make a big difference at at wimbledon in the sense of i don't i can't see players dropping out given you know the prestige of of wimbledon it's a grand slam also the prize money at play uh, at wimbledon in in grand slams in general it's just so massive um that it just feels like i don't think players would would drop out it's just it just be a bit i think it'd just be a bit annoying <laughs> um but i certainly think it's more of an issue potentially with the british tour events like you know queens um eastbourne the these events where they're in competition with events uh outside of of the uk um you know i mean i guess i get that kind of the entry list is sort of coming out now i think queen's potentially is coming out tomorrow but you know we saw the entry list for haller and i was looking uh i was looking at it and thinking that it's pretty stacked you know medvedev's there rublev's there sisipas is there zverev is there and i wondered if it was sort of playing on their minds in terms of well i don't want to miss out on potential ranking points so you know i'd rather be certain about that play Haller than you know what you know what than not know what is going to be happening at Queens but I certainly think out of principle the ATP and I'm assuming also that the WTA which I feel like I haven't heard what their kind of stance on it but I feel like they need to come together and and decide on that and they've got to come together I think pretty 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 quickly because these are still kind of rumors they're 
you know they're not it's not official yet but it, you know the grass got season is 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 very much on the horizon now and you know i think players will want to know in order you know for their scheduling what you know what they what they want to do but um yeah i think out of principle and where they stand i think they they have to sort of go down this this approach yeah, they need to do it pronto because these events start in a few weeks. And mm. um, I think it would make sense, obviously, for ATP and WTA to, to both do the same. I think it would be silly to have one and not the other. And I think the WTA also came out and said that they generally disagree with what Wimbledon and the LTA have done. So I think they would probably follow suit. I mean, two, two of the players you mentioned for Haller, though, Joel, they, they've got to play Haller because they can't come to the UK, uh, Medvedev and Ribler. That so is very true. There will that be a lot of true. players who obviously <laughs> have to play those events. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that what Wimbledon and the LTA, LTA have done, you know, I disagree with it. I don't think it's fair to ban these players. Um, so I, I do think that they're, you know, it's their kind of just desserts to have some kind of stand put against that um you know the ATP owns the ranking system even if Wimbledon is obviously a grand slam and independent from the ATP so the ATP can still control those ranking points I I don't think yeah it's going to affect too many players actually going to Wimbledon because obviously prize money and just it being a grand slam and many people's like favorite tournament um it's I think it's the other events isn't it and I mean, I guess the prize money is still going to be a lure for a lot of players, but it's a shame, you know, even for if if this does go ahead, if 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 a I don't know up and coming British player does really well, they could have really benefited from those those points. So you know, a lot of players could. So the LTA might have shot themselves in the foot to some extent if we, you know, our own players don't benefit as well. So we'll have to see what happens and comes out in the next week on this one because, as you said, a decision would need to be made very very quickly so that mm. you know everyone can kind of make those arrangements um but yeah i think it's a, a lot it does make sense i think if they were to do it yeah i think if you're the the atp or the wta and you don't you come out and say we stand against what wimbledon have said but then don't really kind of follow on from that it it's sort of it's sort of more like a, a sort of just sort of a state of of disapprovingment or or whatever there's no real sort of action taken and you know I think players probably would obviously get kind of frustrated by it but um you know if they really firmly believe that you know they are fully against what you know Wimbledon have said and you know given that what we've seen in the past they they absolutely are then I think they have to make an, an action to to stand by that that they can hang their hat on and yeah it thinks I think ranking point deductions they make sense, um, and uh, you know we, we'll have to see. I don't think it'll change the kind of competitive nature of of Wimbledon. I, I know there will be people who kind of will come out and say, "Oh, well, that would make Wimbledon just a, a glorified exhibition." I don't. I think just because of the prestige and the history of the the Grand Slam, I think you know we're not. We're, it's not going to feel. I don't think it's going to feel like that. Um, but again, it, it does, I think, create a little different kind of complexion potentially, you know, on the, on how the tournament goes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, in other news, Joel, we have um, Guadalajara is set to host a Masters 1000 event for the for the women uh, in, I think, October as a replacement for the equivalent event that used to be uh, out in Wuhan and Beijing. Uh, so obviously the WTA continuing with their boycotting of, of events in China um but you know this is this is good news for for Guadalajara because they held the 
WTA finals last year and it was yeah. a, it was a great event it was great packed, packed crowds really fun event so I'm pleased that they're, they're getting a 1000 event I think it's hopefully going to be another great week on, on the tour yeah definitely I think we were we were sort of talking about this uh you know last uh you know at the end of last season how you know it was such a fun tournament even given that it was sort of quite makeshift and you know it was all a bit felt a little bit like last minute but at the same time it was expertly put on uh there were big crowds there and I think that for me was the sort of the most sort of um you know appealing nature I think of of Guadalajara in the sense of I think we do get tournaments in Asia um and particularly like you know tournaments on the tour where you just see on the on the tv screens just lots of like lots of empty seats and and players playing in you know less than 50 percent full uh um arenas but I certainly think with with Guadalajara yeah they just absolutely love their tennis out there and um it's great to see them get a really big juicy um event and I think they'll the organizers will be absolutely you know looking forward to that and filling a real kind of prize spot I think on the you know on the WTA tour and um you know moving off you know weaning the WTA off this Asia dependency um and yeah maybe and as a result it feels like there's an opportunity there for another part of the world to to get involved and it looks like South America is going to benefit yeah and um last but not least we've got some other news tennis business news i guess is that uh, naomi osaka has left img um to set up her own agency called evolve um so she's she's yeah she's she's doing her own thing she's uh gonna try and grow her kind of well continually growing i guess portfolio of sponsors and deals and what have you and um but do it with her own company which i think you know, I think other players have done in the past and, you know, IMG are a massive, you know, massive company, aren't they? They represent a lot of um, sports stars and tennis players, but she wants to do it um, herself and uh, continue growing uh, in that in that fashion. So, uh, yeah, good luck to her. Quite interesting sort of move. But as 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 you said, it's, it's a move, I think, that it, it makes sense. She's very... You know, she's a very high profile character. We've seen other high profile, not, not just tennis stars, but sports stars go down a similar route. Um, yes, kind of Roger Federer, but also people like LeBron James as well, um, from basketball, Steph Curry. So, um, you know, I think it's interesting. She's taking more kind of, I think, ownership. And I always think like she's quite a creative, uh, person. She's quite interesting. I feel like she's got some sort of interesting sort of ventures. I think we've already sort of seen them um you know out there and um yeah i think this is an interesting kind of approach to take but something that is i think in line with what others kind of sports stars who i feel like transcend their sport um uh, are doing and um yeah it sort of makes sense i hope it doesn't obviously kind of distract from her kind of obviously her tennis and and being on the on the tennis court but i think certainly kind of moving forward it, it works for her in in terms of her yeah that ownership and being able to kind of own own yourself a bit more and I think you know we've seen that in the past with I think yeah as I said players like Roger Federer doing that taking that approach and um yeah great to see yeah good luck to her I, I didn't realize this but she set up her own skincare company mm. last year um 
called Kineo. So I, di- I didn't know that, but um, obviously she wants to get a lot more um, things underway. So yeah, fantastic and uh, wish her well. Uh, which brings us on to looking at this week ahead uh, in tennis because we've got four events, all 250s uh, prior to the French Open. So on the men's side of things, we've got uh, Geneva and uh, Lyon as well. Um, and we've got Strasbourg and Morocco for the women. So, I mean, let's just have a quick look at each of these draws. I think Medvedev is headlining in uh, Geneva, but also Kasper Ruud, uh, who is there as the defending champion and obviously did did very well in, in Rome. So, um, you know, interesting that Medvedev's back. Uh, I assume he's... Uh, like ready to to get going again, uh, which is good to see. Uh, hasn't been on court for a while, so it'll be interesting to see how how he gets on. And, and Dominic Team is also there, hoping to get that first victory since uh, since coming back. I think he's got has he got Chechenato in, in the first round. Yep. Mm. Yeah, quite tricky, quite tricky one that. But uh, yeah, I think Dominic Team. Yeah, he look, he's he's getting a bit better and better by the match. So um, you know. I think there's optimism, grounds for optimism there. Grounds for optimism as well for for Daniel Medvedev, I think. I mean, I have not no idea, Kim, what Medvedev we should be seeing, you know, on <laughs> on the court. You know, Clay's not his, I feel like, most natural surface. I feel like at times he has a very much a love-hate, mostly hate relationship with, with Clay. But, um, you know, he is a very, you know, he's like the number two in the world. So... I'm, I'm sort of curious to see how he goes in Geneva and what, you know, and based on that, what sort of expectation or, or if any expectation we can put on him, you know, at the French Open, because he is one of those players we've just not really you know, been speaking about. We just thought, honestly, that he wasn't even going to play the, the French Open. Those were sort of the, the mutterings, I think, a few few weeks ago. But it's it's great to see him back on the tour. I mean, this is a fun little tournament, I think, with, with Kasparud as, as the second seed. Um yeah, I think quite kind of quite competitive. Uh, Denis Shapovalov is also there after that, you know, victory against Rafa. So um, it's going to be quite, um, I think that's going to be quite a competitive one. Uh, Leon as well, Kim. Cam Norrie uh, is the top seed. This this draw, arguably, probably a little bit kind of lighter on the, on the big names, but you've still got Gail Monfils, who's going to be a dad. Helena Monfils, Lena Svitolina has announced that she is with child today. She is pregnant exciting because she she pulled out the French Open um stating mm. that you know she wasn't in a right sort of mental state to play but obviously you know what with the war going on that's understandable but perhaps also it's due to <laughs> the baby news so yeah really pleased um for both of them I think it's due in in October baby girl um but yeah Monfils is out in Lyon uh Cam Norrie's the top seed PCB also there uh Songa's got a wild card so uh Rune unseeded I feel like he's quite a dangerous mm. guy to, to potentially watch so yeah looking at him obviously with the Brits as well Cam Norrie I think Songa also in on a wild card on his route to retirement um at the French Open so yeah he's got quite a tricky one I feel against Alex Molkan um in the first round so um yeah we'll see how all of those get on and on the WTA side as well we've got Strasbourg and Morocco Kim Strasbourg Carolina Pushkova there as the top seed on a wild card Angie Kerber also there on a wild card as the second seed Elise Mertens Sloane Stevens uh Serana Castella um and curiously Sam Stoza yeah, what is she doing there? I thought she'd given up singles, but she's there on a wild card <laughs> playing Harmony Tam, which I think was happening today. Yeah, um, she was there on a wild card, I think is the, the correct tense. 
given the result earlier. Yeah, basically. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, Joel. I know how much of a fan you are. Um, but yeah, I mean, fair play. I think she won this event before. So maybe it's because she's a a previous champion and Mm. she's just like, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll take a wild card. Why not? Um, Heather Watson's also there. So see what she can do. Uh, but then we've also got the tournament in Rabat. Uh, Muguruza is top seed there. And Tom Ljanovic is the second seed. So, yeah, not not as, uh, I guess, as many high-profile names in uh, in Morocco. But Muguruza will be hoping to find some form because it's gone a bit AWOL of late. Yeah, I, I get the feeling a lot of top players have taken wild cards into the last round of tournaments before the French Open uh, who have not necessarily had the clay season they were hoping. Yeah, Muguruza, Pliskova, particularly on the, on the women's side. But, um, yeah, we, we will see how they get on i mean muguruza's got what looks like quite a quite a nice draw with quite a few qualifiers and lucky losers surrounding her um so we'll see how she gets on uh in morocco but uh yeah that is the end of our, our catch-up kim we're going to be back uh for our french open preview um which is going to be on our next episode Roland Garros is just around the corner so I hope listeners can join us for that later on next week I'm not sure quite when the draw is coming out but uh we'll let people know on social media um we do actually have a little bit of a bonus uh with this episode because listeners who you may know Chris who I went to the Billie Jean King Cup with uh we were going to go to Rome for the Italian Open uh, this season. Unfortunately, I was not able to go. But Chris has gone out there and he's done a little diary by himself. So um, I'm going to leave it at the end of the episode after the music. So if you want to hear a little bit about Rome on the ground from Chris and you know what it's like as a fan and the matches he, shorts, he saw, then listen on. Absolutely. And yeah, as Joel said, we'll be back uh, before Roland Garros, uh, looking ahead to the second Grand Slam of the year. I can't believe it's here already. And we go into this sort of epic phase of the season where know. You know, we then have the grass court starting straight <laughs> after and it's all a bit hectic and everything's you know going on in the UK. So yeah, it's a fun time, isn't it? If only there was some sort of catch up podcast that helped tennis fans just make the most yeah um yeah um no listeners <laughs> um listeners i hope you enjoyed listening to this latest catch up with the passing shot uh, remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action coming up including the french open roland garros in paris uh later on this month you can subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on we are on apple Podcasts, spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on apple podcasts or spotify and you can follow us on social media we're on facebook instagram and twitter at passing shot pod so if you don't already follow us do give us a follow and a like and uh tell all your friends about us as well as we uh go into <laughs> the uh busiest stage of the tennis season especially uh, at home <laughs> in the uk uh we're also um on email so you can contact us on there as well passing shot pod at gmail.com and don't forget to check out our website as well www.thepassingshot.co.uk And we will be back next time at Passing Shot HQ for our Roland Garros preview. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon.
listeners, here it is. Passing shot extra. Chris is here to give you the download on the Italian Open. If you're ever thinking about going or you just want to hear what it's like being in the stadium, Chris has got the point of view that you would probably want to listen to. So, yeah, listen on to him about his kind of perspective, the matches he saw. And yeah, if you're ever thinking about going as a fan, this is the guide you want to hear. So um, I'll leave it over to Chris. And uh, yeah, we will see you. We will see you for our French Open preview um, later on next week. Well, hello. Greetings from sunny Rome, um, where it's been around 30 degrees all week. So I'm not sure how the players have coped. But Joel asked me to record an update from Rome. I've been here all week watching the tennis and I thought I could give you an overview as to what it's like to attend the tennis as a spectator, but also uh, give you a snapshot of some of the matches that I saw and some of the takes from the matches that I saw. So as a tournament, Rome is very different to other t- uh, tennis tournaments that I've been to. The French Open and Wimbledon are a lot more classy, I would say, um, in terms of not too much alcohol consumed. It's not big, loud music in between games, um, and it's very much more... Um, of a, I'd say, a civilised affair. But Rome is about having a great time, the tournament. It is fun, there's lots of alcohol consumed, people are there, might not be tennis fans, but they are looking to have a great time. And so the atmosphere is incredible. A lot of beer is consumed, unsurprisingly a lot of pizza is eaten, um, not a single fruit or a strawberry um, on, on offer, but it was um, a fantastic experience and a fantastic vibe. Uh, lots of dancing in stands, which is something that I also don't think they encourage at Wimbledon. So I cannot recommend, if you're looking to have a great time at a tennis tournament, I don't think you'd be able to beat Rome. And something that I would say is also really interesting is that the kind of Italian fans of tennis, they love to support whoever is behind. They want a close match, they want a great match. So someone might be passionately cheering for one player one point before, and then suddenly it all shifts, almost that quickly so I think it's great to see the passion they have for a great match of tennis not necessarily for an individual player and I think that's something that makes for some very entertaining um, matches and crowd interactions and they love to get involved when it comes to a dodgy line call they are happy to tell you what they think um, especially if the umpire might be getting it wrong or an Italian is playing um so I'll give you an overview of some of the matches that we saw. We were there Wednesday to Friday. And at the time of recording, I have not watched the finals. I will catch up on that. So anything I'm saying, I will caveat, I do not know what's happened. Um, but on the first day, we went to an evening session. And these start very late in Rome. Uh, they are, I think it's local time, 7. But one of Nadal's evening sessions started at 8pm. For the evening session that I went to... It was an all-Italian affair of Sinner versus Fognini. And it was a hot day in Rome. Um, the crowd was very lively. It was fully packed. And it was dramatic from the start. Uh, Fognini started limping on the first point and called the trainer out. And we thought maybe this would be a very short affair. But I think maybe he likes the drama of it. I don't want to say that he was faking. But he then played three sets, three full sets. He won the second set. But I think potentially it was to kind of get the crowd involved a little bit, a little bit of dramatic improvisation. Um, But it was a a great match. I think 
I felt a bit bad for Sinner in the sense that because Fognini had drawn the crowd in with his injury and kind of the fact he wasn't playing very well at all in the first set, it really gave um, him the oomph he needed to improve. Whereas Sinner was pretty, you know, couldn't tell what he was thinking, kept a a level head throughout. Um, But I do think that Fognini played the better tennis um, but not the most consistent tennis. And I think something, this is could be contentious, but Fognini's backhand down the line is probably one of the best I've ever seen. And I think it's unbelievable how he's able to change direction. And it's something that was quite clearly missing from part of um, Sinner's game in the sense that Sinner was not taking line. He was very much going back cross court, playing the percentages and hopefully, well, hoping that Fognini missed. And that was a great match to experience with an Italian crowd, probably one of the most Italian or kind of culturally um, specific uh, things I've ever witnessed in terms of Italians cheering on Italians in Italy. Um, so that was a, a great first match. And then I have to confess, for the Bedosa fans out there, we did skip the Bedosa-Sasnovic match because we thought maybe Bedosa would have that quite easily. And we went to Pietro Angeli to watch Danielle Collins, who Joel and I have spoken about before. We are big fans. And she was playing against Simona Halep. And that match was a very close first set where Collins was sort of struggling for form a little bit um, and it was becoming a bit of a tussle. And it was fantastic to see that she was broken for 6-5 and she was visibly livid. She didn't sit down at change of end. She just waited at the at the baseline for the next point to start for all of the changeover. And after she lost that game at 6-5 and was broken, she was on, on one. Something changed she was so furious with herself that she decided that all she was going to do was hit winners. And she essentially hit Simona Halep off the court. It was interesting watching Simona now under kind of the coaching of Patrick Mortogalu. He was there. And I think it will be interesting to see what he can do because Simona obviously doesn't have the same weapons as Serena. And it was quite clear that she could be hit off the court. And if she's missing a little bit and her game is built around kind of retrieving balls, putting pressure on, she's technically brilliant... Um, she was exposed when Daniela Collins just decided to hit through her. So that was a great match to watch. Um, and then on the next day, we were watching um, Jessica Pagula, who we're excited to see, versus Sabalenka on grandstand. And that was a court that we, I personally prefer to central court. I think it's something that is more, it's more comfortable, it's less kind of gladiatorial and much more relaxed. Um, so I think that's a great court. If you have a ticket for that, it will be a great day. You don't have to get a court, a ticket for Central because they do split um, the matches between the two. So it's always really good matches on both. And Pegula, Madrid finalist, was taking on Sabalenka. And I have to say, it was one of the most disappointing starts to a match I've ever seen. It was like something was really wrong with Jesse Pegula. Um, I was cheering her on, trying to get her going. Um, but she really could not get anything going. And Sabalenka played pretty solidly, but Pagula just did not show up. And it's something that we saw quite a lot throughout the week is that I'm not sure if it's going from some of the different conditions of playing, like a night match on a much cooler temperature to a day match where the surface is very, very dry and it's hard to slide. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but a lot of players really didn't show up in the first set. And then it kind of set the tone for the matches. And this was true for Pagula, who somehow managed to get to 6-4 in the second, but that was a straight sets loss and a big disappointment. Um, flashes of Sabalenka brilliance, and you wonder why she hasn't gone further. I still wonder that. Um, well, especially after Iga's able to dismantle her game so easily when she has such a big game. It's kind of surprising. So 
We then saw a bit of um, Garen versus Chilich. Garen is a great chap in terms of he gives everything on every point. I don't mean that to sound patronising. I think he's just very positive. He never, never gives a free point. I think that was testament to how he was able to get that victory in three hours against Chilich. We moved over to one of my personal favourites, Bianca um, Andreescu, who was playing out on court one, another great court that's unticketed, playing its Petromatic. And I'd say that was probably some of the most competitive and in, kind of engaging tennis matches we saw. That was a 6-4, 6-4 win, lots of variety. Um, and unfortunately for Petra Martic, I think she's had this sort of problem before. Mentally, she should go away a bit at key moments. But it was great to see BB back on the court and up close. We checked out Sitsipas Kachanov after that. And again, so disappointing how someone can win a set 6-4 and then couldn't get the ball in the court. And I think it's seems to be true for a lot of players that they either are hitting at full force, going for winners, or they kind of inch back, get behind that baseline, and then they play too defensively. And so that was a big shame that he wasn't able to show up. And I mean, the 6-3 that he did get in the final set, it wasn't competitive. So that was a big shame. And then similar theme, a big shame, Collins and Isimova. She was dismantled and didn't seem like herself at all. And I couldn't believe that the night before we'd seen her absolutely dominate Simona Halep. And again, I, I don't know what the, the reason is for that. Could be the conditions, could be something going on. But clearly it's very hard to get your best out of you on a day-to-day basis. And that could be because of the changing conditions. Um, I really do not know. But it was surprising to see, that's for sure. Uh, we checked out some of Sakari Goff, which was a lot of unforced errors. Um, Sakari did have chances to serve it out um, when she was a break up. And she, no, she didn't serve it out. She was a break up early on in the second set. And not necessarily the best front runner there, but that was a little bit messy. And then we checked out some of the Ons um, match against Putin Saver, which Ons was on fire. Um, so that was great to see her after her Madrid win and how exciting her game is. And there are so many passionate Tunisian fans. So that was fantastic to see um, how proud they are of her and how well she's doing. And people were wearing kind of all all red someone was in a onesie and it's not not cold at all so the commitment of the Tunisian fans was something to be admired and then on the Friday we saw a bit of Sasha versus Garen again and that was one where Sasha was playing well Garen does have weapons but he does tend to play a little bit more defensive um and a lot of players we saw kind of started like going for it and if it didn't work they then reverted to plan B which is obviously retrieval and Sasha when he hits the ball it's is pretty impressive and he played very well in that um match overall but I do think he could take on the ball a bit more than he does but that was very enjoyable then the the highlight of the day what I was really looking forward to was Iga versus Bianca and that's first set could have gone either way I really think that Bianca could have got it she was a breakup at times she was a breakdown at times but there was a turning point in the tiebreak where there was an awful decision by the umpire on a ball that was called, I think it was one that was called out and was in. And then they made, no, no, it was called, yeah, it was in. And then they said to, they had to replay the point. In fact, ignored all that. It wasn't replay the point. It was awarded to Iga and Bianca had to play on the ball. And that really set the tone for the tiebreak, unfortunately. And then that match was obviously kind of very unfortunate in the way that it was a six-love second set. Um, but good to see Bianca back, good to see her be able to be competitive, even if it is just for the one set. 
And I mean, against Eager, if you get any games, you're doing well these days. And then the final match that we watched was Ons Jabeur versus Sakari. And Ons did not turn up. It was almost the Collins effect. Could not believe that she couldn't find the court. And I was with my um, my auntie who thought that maybe she could have a better go. And it was that sort of level of you weren't sure what happened in the first few points that would make someone so kind of despondent and kind of unable to engage with the situation they're in. And she went down 6-1 and 5-2. And then Sakari went into meltdown. And we've seen it happen before at the French and a few other places where she just almost something goes off in her brain and she can't necessarily find the court or make the same decisions. So that was a big shame in that one because we didn't necessarily get a period where they were both playing well. Um, from 5-2, of Ons took it 7-5, and then the third set was very, very plain sailing. But kind of overall thoughts was that Rome is a fantastic tournament to visit. I cannot recommend it enough. Um, it's great, even if you aren't necessarily the most informed tennis fan, you will still be able to see some fantastic tennis with an amazing atmosphere. And something that I was really surprised by, and I've talked about already in this, is how people aren't able to bring their best game each day. And I've seen that not really not really as present at other tournaments, like at Wimbledon, maybe because it's a bigger tournament and the French Open. Even if you aren't having a good day, it's a grand slam. It's the, as big as the tournament and sports and sport gets. So you find a way. But it looked like people were struggling for motivation it could be to do with the conditions being so warm. It could be the change, changing um, scheduling that could be causing some of the problems. But that was very um, disappointing to see. But fantastic to see Eager up close. That was a personal highlight. Uh, seeing Eager in full flight, especially in that second set against Bianca, she was unplayable. But overall, fantastic week in Rome. Um, next time, I hope you join me, Joel. I think we'll have a fantastic time. Yeah, and enjoy some of that party atmosphere at the Foro Italico. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.